The Kalidum Topic. That means the hot topic in Latin, by the way. The hot topic in the church world is Kanye West, and we're going to do that. But first, your responses to our discussion on women in the church. We'll do that on this week's Corey True Act Show. This is something of a broadcasting trip where I know the thing that I think probably the most of you want to do is talk about the Kanye West album and how we react to this this long-standing, unstable character, really, in pop culture and his, his alleged or his professed conversion to Christianity, his profession of faith. Because there's a discussion inside Christianity, not just about the album, but how we react to this profession of faith and... Some people are really skeptical of it, and some folks are really mad at the people who are skeptical. There's actually a lot to discuss around the Kanye West album, and I want to do that. But here's that broadcasting trick. I'm going to do it later. So I want to want to go through some other things from you. For example, I got some response from the episode last week with Doug when we talked about the role of women in ministry. I've got a great email from Wayne that's very interesting, another listener. Uh, and then I got a couple other questions from you, the listener. And then when we come back from that, so this first segment we'll do we'll do those topics. We'll get into Kanye West. So first, the oh wait, I guess for first, my name is Corey Truax. You know me. I'm the host of the Corey Truax Show. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church, and Beachwood meets on Sunday mornings at 10:30 this month of November. I am preaching every single Sunday. I'd love to have you. We're going through the Book of Mark. It's a ton of fun. There's some stuff you might not have previously seen. Uh, for the story of Jesus calming the storm and casting the, that demon into those pigs. There's actually all kinds of cool stuff that you might not have seen uh, in that text. I'd love to bring that out for you. So 10.30 Sunday mornings, Beachwood Church, we'd love to have you. And if you're listening to the podcast, thanks. I'm grateful. All right, here we go. The first thing was some responses to the last week's episode. One, most of you were actually in, a, in agreement. I guess it's the uh, audience I've attracted is a complementarian audience. That's a theological term for those that believe, like I do, that the genders, the sexes, are equal in honor in the sight of God, equally made in the image of God, and distinct in role. Not but distinct in role. So not equal in honor, but, no, equal in honor and distinct in role. That men show part of the image of God, women show part of the image of God, and when we come together, we have a, a full image of what it's of what God's character is like, and so most of the responses were, were were that I did get were were encouraging were encouragements. I did get one someone who was on my side who thought I was being too easy on Beth Moore, and they sent me some tweets. They sent me an article that she's something of that she's something of a provocateur that she. As much as John MacArthur should have been nicer, she does seem to throw in, throw in people's faces her lack of complementarity. That she is she is preaching in churches on Sunday mornings. So she's I got sent some tweets where that's the thing that she does to people. Like she's trying to pick at folks like me, like to to the extent that well, of course you're going to get a response if what you're doing is that they're tweeting about where you're preaching at this Sunday, and she seems to do it in at certain times and tagging certain people that she's trying to pick a fight about whether or not a woman should be in front of a congregation on a Sunday morning. So, uh, I, I, listen, my nature is not to be cantankerous. I don't like meanness. It's not a not a fun thing. I, I in particular, don't think Beth Moore's outside the faith. I think she's a sister. I think she's wrong. I think she is 
exercising her gifting incorrectly and outside of the the biblical parameters. But I don't want to be mean. I, that's that's a thing. Uh, it's just not a, a, a thing to start getting mean over. So I had one response that was, you were too nice about Beth Moore. Well, I'm going to keep being nice, all right, until she straight up actually gets into heresy, in which case you can you can get very rough with false teachers. One of the responses I got is, well, what what you should really care about is who's who's uh, who's capable, and if a woman is capable, then she shouldn't be kept from doing what uh, what what she's good at and what God's gifted her to do. All right, so it's, that's not how that's not how we do theology. The way we don't we we don't do theology by what we think and what we think would be right and fair. We go to the Bible. That is how we adjudicate these things. It's the beauty of Christianity, really is that we can go to Scripture, and it does have perspicuity. There's clarity in the Scripture. There are those that try to muddy it, but there's actually not a lot of mud. It's a very clear picture of what the role a woman has in, in the church. I, mean, I don't know how you can get any more clear than 1 Timothy 2 saying, I do not permit a woman to preach. And he's, he's talking about specifically the assembly of believers. So when the church is assembled and all of us are there together, Paul makes very clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who's supposed to be doing the preaching and the teaching. I, I don't know that there could be any more clarity than what First Timothy 2 offers us there. And so a woman who is gifted to preach and gifted to teach, great, awesome, do it in the, in the, uh, in the, in the context that God provides for that, with teaching other women and teaching in the house and teaching, teaching, for that matter, gigantic conferences of women and teaching children. That's the context God gave. Does it matter if we like it or not? That's what Scripture says. Even specifically to me, I actually do see the the beauty in it and and the wisdom, but I could very easily say, man, I don't I don't like that. I don't like that it's this way. But who cares what we like? It's one of those weird things in Christianity. No one cares what you like. No one cares what I like. Or at least we shouldn't. We go to Scripture and we surmise using the minds God has given us. What's supposed to happen in the church? And so I did get one response that was, well, she's gifted, and so all we should care about is who's gifted. That's not all we should care about. We should care about the Bible and what it tells us to do. And so that's what we do. All right. So there's a couple of the responses there. Uh, then I got an email that's only tangentially related, but it's from Wayne, longtime listener, and I like it. And so uh, I want to go through this. Wayne writes, what do you think about a man serving as a deacon who had his first child a few days after he was married? He had already been ordained as a deacon in a small country church when the pregnancy was initiated. So Wayne asks, "We got there's there's some deacon somewhere, um, and he's becomes a deacon, and then a couple of days later, his, excuse me, he is he is a deacon, and what was the situation?" Uh, after serving as a, he, he had already been ordained as a deacon in a small country church, so he was already a deacon. He gets a woman he is not married to, pregnant, and then he marries that woman, and then a few days later, the child is born. What do I? What, what I think is, when he got that woman pregnant, outside of marriage, he was no longer qualified to be a deacon, and therefore should have been removed from that office, and he should, in in my estimation, in my opinion. He should be removed now. Uh, for some period of time, that, that's, a, that's a public sin that requires a public repentance. So, uh, yeah, he should have been removed. Whoever the elders and pastors were, were there should have removed him from that deaconship. 
Uh, so really quickly, I actually just want to read to you because it doesn't matter my opinion. Here is from First Timothy 3. This is the qualifications for deacons. So when we're looking for deacons, what kind of people are we looking for? Who cares what Corey Truax thinks? Let's go to Scripture. Verse 8 in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Okay, what else? In the verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. All right, so that blameless doesn't have to be sinless, but there does have to there does have to show a lifestyle of sanctification, a lifestyle of not ongoing sin. And those types of big public sins, I think, would fall under this verse 10 category of no longer blameless. Now, you can actually, I would say that deacon can work, can, uh, I hate to use that word work, can demonstrate that he is qualified again later. But right now, your life says you are not qualified to serve in this position. And what we want for you is to be qualified. What we want to see from you is a lifestyle of repentance, that you've actually changed, that you're going to go about the things to make this right. And as we watch your life, then you might be able to, again, be be qualified, but right now you are not. I'll go ahead and read the rest of this because it is the Bible, and the Bible's awesome. What else should we be looking for for deacons? Uh, well, uh, their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers. They must be so, sober-minded, faithful in all things. And actually, we can't keep reading this. Wayne has more in this email that needs to get uh, gotten to, and we've got to save some time. Uh, another part of Wayne's email. He's talking about a church that he went to. The, here's from his email. This church has both deacons and elders, whose roles are explained uh, in uh, are explained in, de- in detail on the church website. They have five deacons. They're women, and the five elders are men. What do you think about this? Good question. But although, again, I don't particularly care what I think. The idea I just care about scripture. So First Timothy is a good is is the place to go to here for this reason. It is primarily written from Paul to Timothy to say, here is how the church should work. The local assembly, here's some things you need to know about how those, these local assemblies called churches should work. And so you go through 1 Timothy 2 where the... Remember that? That might actually be 1 Timothy. Yeah, it's 1 Timothy 2 and 3 where you you get the qualifications for what it means to be an overseer or an elder. What we've, we're showing, we call pastors now, but overseer or elder. And the, the big theme there is about authority. These are the people that will have authority. And now deacons, they they have a position of, I guess, some recognition, but their actual job is to serve. It's not necessarily authority. Now, Baptist churches, for a long time, they got this way wrong. Um, that, that deacons are kind of running things, that they were the governance. Oh, and if there wasn't deacons running things, it was a dictator-type pastor situation. None of these are, ch- are actual biblical models of church run- of, of church laity, and that's not what I'm, I don't mean laity, but church leadership. And so, uh, what do I think about their five deacons being women and five uh, elders being men? Well, as long as they're meeting the biblical requirements and then job description, so they're qualified to be a deacon. I think a woman can be qualified to be a deacon and to serve. And a man who's, as long as he meets the qualifications of elder, like just being a man isn't enough, as long as he meets the actual qualifications of elder or overseer. Yeah, I got no problem with that. The fact that there are five elders and five deacons makes me nervous. It makes me think that they're just calling these women deacons, but they're actually part of the the, the eldership, and they're just trying to keep the labels uh, keep, keep the labels straight. Uh, but 
in general, should a woman be able to have a position that's organized as service in the church? Yeah, sure. Uh, and and if any of my complementarian friends have a problem with that, I'd love to hear from you. CoreyTruexShow at gmail.com. CoreyTruexShow at gmail.com. You can also contact the show on any of the social media sites. You can look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. And if you think I'm wrong about that, I'll take it. We did run out of time on this. And so I, I'm going to do what I said. I'm going to come back and do this Kanye West thing. If we have time after that, I have a couple other emails from you I wanted to discuss. There is specifically one about this this transgender kid down in Texas who thinks he's a girl and he's a boy and the judges are now involved, lots of legal stuff going on. I'd love to get to that on today's show. Uh, But we're going to come back and do the thing that a lot of the Christian world is talking about. We're going to come back and talk about Kanye West's new album. It is called Jesus is King. We'll do that and hopefully a whole lot more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Guys, I'm trying to give you an Amazon gift card. Why did only like nine of you give me, go write a review? I think it was nine people who wrote a review and then sent me a screenshot. If you forgot from last week, I'm going to give one of you a $50 Amazon gift card for reviewing my show. You have to write something down, not just give me five stars somewhere, but actually go where you can review the show and write a review. My little sister did me a great favor. By t- her name's Beth. Hi, Beth. Uh, it, it's kind of hard on iTunes to figure out how to review the show. But if you go to my feed, you have to scroll all the way to the bottom, and you can do write a review. All right, so go to the feed, all the way to the bottom on iTunes, and you can do it there. And then go say something nice, or write some words, and give me a five-star rating. Then send me that screenshot on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. I will put you in a drawing that we're going to do at the eh, three weeks from now, and then I will send one of you that gift card. Please go review the show. A little bit hurt that only nine like nine people did it. So I need more of you to go do it. It'll be very helpful and it'll make you happier. It'll make me, it'll be make me happy too. All right, back to anchor or the show or something like that. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Before I do my typical thing about social media and connecting there, can I say a quick thank you to Charlie, who joined Brandon and a couple other people who are regular monthly contributors to the show now. So thank you, Charlie, for his gift of five bucks a month. Guys, I'd, I'd love to do this full-time at some point in the future. And uh, if you can afford that, why not go do it? Over at the Anchor app, uh, I, those of you that find some value to the show, and if you think, bro, don't do this. They'll become that guy that's like, hey, sponsor my podcast. I'm not doing that. I'm going to keep my job. I got stuff, I, I got stuff to do. But uh, if you find value in it, I would be honored if you would join Charlie, Brandon, several others who support the show with regularity, and thank you for those who do. Now, my normal thing. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you uh, want to follow along, uh, that'll be great. It'd be good to uh, to have your thoughts t- throughout the week and just following along in life as well. I do most of my stuff on Instagram now. Uh, Twitter is mean and vapid and vacuous. Facebook is most... I don't find a lot of value on Facebook either, but uh, do love me some Instagram. It's a, it's a much more positive platform, so follow Corey Truax anywhere. Uh, excuse me. Follow Corey Truax on any of those platforms. All right, here we go. The talk of the Christian world has been that Kanye West has has released a gospel album. I have now listened to this album 10 times, maybe. I bet it's 10, which is not hard, by the way. It's 27 minutes. There's 10 tracks on it. A lot of them are very short. You can listen to the entire album in less than half an hour. So it's not hard to get through it 10 times. And I'm going to talk about the album and actually review it. Before we do that, there's some... uh, Let's talk about the people before we talk about the album. The people part has to do with us as the church, Christians, and then also about Kanye West. 
So, Kanye West, I guess a couple months ago, said he was he had a conversion. He was following Jesus. He he professed faith in Jesus, and he used all the right words. I even said on this show that I would just hopefully, w- with hope, watch watch his life, watch for fruit. I even gave that counsel on the show. That's what we should do. Because I had, one of you wrote in, can't remember who. Hey, what do you think about this Kanye West thing? Well. I love when I hear from any that anyone would pass from death unto life. That's what we we believe in the Christian world. When you repent of your sin and you follow after Christ, you are passing from eternal death into eternal life. I don't care if your name is Kanye West or some random dude on the street. That's always good news. So we watch cautiously uh, to, to see if it's a genuine conversion, and we'll know genuine conversions by the fruit of that person's life. So that was my take. What I have noticed is a a couple of of extremes that I want to discuss. So there was people like me who said let's let's with hope watch with caution. There have also been those that expressed a level of skepticism that I don't understand. Like, well, if, you know, of course he's not. It's not real. He's a hypocrite. And then there are those that I I'm I'm starting to lean towards that just said this is great. How awesome is this? And let's embrace Kanye West. And so I I just want to speak to each of those. So, to the folks who are like hardcore, well, actually, this is this is for everybody. I can understand the skepticism. Kanye West is a little weird. That, that's that's part of his marker in pop culture. I don't know a Kanye West song. I've only known him because he's kind of weird. He came on to the scene with the with the weird hair. And they did a song called that I still have never heard. Apparently called "Jesus Walks," and he does the cover of Rolling Stone. That's that's kind of testy, where he's like up on a cross. And I just, he's kind of weird. He he storms the stage with Taylor Swift, which is trying to get that award. He married a Kardashian. Like it's just he's he's a little weird. And then he's also at that part in life. I think he's in his early forties, where it's not abnormal for folks to decide I'm going to change something major about my life. And so for some folks, that ends up being, I'm going to lose a bunch of weight and I'm going to get into great shape. Or I'm quitting my job and getting a new job. I'm going to learn a language or new to learn a new skill. Sometimes in life we get restless and we make big changes and big decisions. And he's at a, a stage in life where that's actually quite normal to do that. And one of the big changes people make is, well, I'm going to change my life. How? I'm going to, the major change, religion. I'm going to get involved in a religion and follow it with, since, uh, with, with a lot of fervency. So I understand skepticism. The guy has been weird. He's in that part of life where you make these big life-changing statements and they don't really last. Like, it does happen. So at some level, I understand skepticism. On the other side, there should be a level of hope inside the skepticism where you have a guy who, in the early stages here, is using all the right language, who has released unabashedly, unashamedly, unapologetically, with clarity, a real Christian album. So be skeptical, but have have a desire for it to be real, just like you would anybody else. Anyone makes a a statement of faith or a statement of their own conversion, we're hopeful that it's real. Someone else has already made this point. A bunch of people on the internet have made this point. But this is partly revealed to me that some of us aren't quite amazed enough by grace. If if you would be so amazed that God would save Kanye West, but you're not all that you're not all that surprised that you're saved, you don't know how amazing grace is. 
you don't know the the depth of your depravity. It blows my mind. Ju- I can't believe the Father God of the universe in His predestined love joined me to His family. That's mind blowing. I'm much more. I know me. I know the depths of my soul, my heart, my mind. My mind is much more blown that I've been included than the fact that Kanye West has been included. And so there's at least some temperance we need to have with our skepticism and some temperance in our embrace. The The language of this album and the language he's using in interviews, it is the language of a young convert. I wish I knew more of his background, like if he grew up in church, because he has caught on to the Christian language very quickly. Like, he is speaking our language. And at least to me, that's encouraging, especially if he didn't learn it as a kid, if he's just coming into it now. So that's, I guess, all I wanted to say on the conversion. The the people who are skeptical of it, I guess I understand. He's kind of a weird guy. He's had a very bombastic life, and so this could be a, a big stunt or something. All right, I get that. But hope for it to be true because we want we, we want people to come to faith, come to to be joined to Christ, to be part of the family of God. So we, we have skepticism, but we're hopeful. And those that are fully embracing it, I don't know, sometimes that heart makes me nervous. Like, we love it when celebrities, it's when celebrities love Jesus. That's even better than when we do. That's a weird reaction that we have as well. So just have some temperance on both sides. Okay, that's the conversation around the actual conversion itself and the attitude I think we should all have. Now, to the actual album. First, there's a lot of scripture in this album, guys. If you went and took the latest Hillsong CD, I said CD, how old am I? The latest Hillsong album, uh, which is even an older thing, right? Albums are even older than CDs, but we all just recognize that album means collection of music. So, all right, let's let's pick release uh, of Collection of music. You take the last collection of music that Hillsong put out, the last collection of music that uh, Elevation put out, and you start searching through for actual scripture. Not just allusions to, because they do have some allusions, in this Kanye West collection of music, his new album, has allusions. But actual scripture in the songs, Kanye West has more Bible than Hillsong does. Has more Bible than... The, like Elevation does. It's incredible. And I wish I could play it for you, but the show airs on his radio talk, 91.9 and 92.9, and I'm sure there's a gajillion rules about not playing people's uh, music without proper licensing and all that stuff. So I'm not going to play it for you, uh, but it's it's out there everywhere if you want to go listen to some of this. So first, the music has a lot of scripture in it. Just as a couple examples. In the first, just in the first song, Man, I'm doing this off the top of my head. That is that's making me nervous. In the first song, he quotes John eight uh, eight thirty something and eight eight thirty six about being the sons of Abraham and who the sun sets free. He is free indeed. He also has this very clever line in the second verse about how, how Jesus drank the bitter uh, the bitter cup. That that's not even a a clear like you don't get that from just the narrative of scripture. You know, Jesus says, take this cup from me in the the Gethsemane narrative. But if you don't know the connection he's making back to a psalm, uh, then you don't know that that's the bitter cup. The bitter cup of God's wrath. It gets, this is what the psalm says. A bitter cup of God's wrath that's poured out to the dregs. That is the cup that Jesus 
is drinking. It's actually this beautiful picture the Bible gives us that the cup of wrath, picture there's this cup, and there's wrath in it, a liquid called wrath, and it's going to get poured out on somebody. The king's just wrath is going to be poured out. And there's this, in the psalm, it's poured out to the dregs, so just the, I guess, the pulp from wine, that's all that's left in the cup. Like, it's really getting poured out. And so that wrath had to get poured out on mankind for his sins, or it had to get poured out on Jesus. And Jesus was so strong, he didn't actually just have it poured out on him, he just went ahead and drank it and defeated sin. He took on the wrath of God inside of his own body and, and, and resurrected. It's a beautiful picture. I don't know that Kanye West knows all of it, but he talks about drinking the cup, the bitter cup. What a cool thing you would do there. And there's more scripture throughout. It talks about fruit of the, really fruit of the spirit even. Like there's, there's real scripture in this Kanye West album, and that blows my mind that I'm saying that. So, big, uh, so number one reaction to the actual album, a lot of scripture in it. Two, there's definitely a theme of family. I counted at least five, there's probably more, at least five mentions of his daughters or raising kids. So this is another thing that we should all recognize about life too. So Kanye West is not just a, a star. He's a human being with a life. When people start having young kids, it changes their calculus on what they value. And so here's Kanye West who's lived most of his life as a narcissist. Most of us have some narcissism in us. Nothing changes that more than having a kid. A kid will reorient your priorities. And there's plenty of times throughout the album where he he mentions those daughters. And I think that has been a driver in this. I'm reading that into the album. I'm reading it into his own life. He talks about his daughters a lot in this album because we, sh- we should all know that. Kids change everything. And then finally, there's a big theme in the album of freedom. He talks about in the album a couple times uh, that, uh, what's the line? Uh, he told the devil that he was on strike because he's been working for him his whole life. So Kanye's saying, I- I've been working for the devil my whole life and I'm going on strike from working for the devil. There's a lot of talk about bondage. Uh, he actually has one line about addiction. I think he's trying to draw a parallel between the 13th Amendment and the United States because he-, he mentions the 13th Amendment twice in the album. Draw a parallel from breaking out of that slavery for African Americans breaking out of the slavery to the devil or slavery to sin. I'm not super great at rap, right, and hip-hop, but I think that's what he's trying to draw there in a, in a parallel. So there's a big theme of freedom. So a lot of scripture, a theme of family and what his daughters mean to him. I think that's a big driver of this change in his life, and then a theme of freedom. So then a couple other quick things I want to mention just on the songs, and we'll be finished with our Kanye West talk. Also, if you have reactions, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there or Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Here we go. Uh, the f- uh, second song, I think, on the CD is called Follow God. Third song, maybe. Yeah, I think it's third song. Uh, it's one of my least favorite on the album, um, but it's it's kind of funny. It's definitely a song about prayer. It's a, it's a song about wrestling with God, and it's... It's a song about because Kanye West talking. He's just talking to his dad. He means his father. He means God. In all the ways in which Kanye West is not acting Christ-like. That's the the theme of the song. Is it ain't Christ-like, and so, like I, I love the 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 transparency of that, the raw nature of that. How many of us would be so honest to say that we wrestle with God in prayer, guys? How many of us are actually praying with any regularity? And he's experiencing it enough to write a song about wrestling with God, actually wanting to argue with God in prayer. It's really an interesting concept coming from Kanye West. 
another song on the CD. I think the next one's called Closed on Sunday. And it's it's kind of funny, but it's it's definitely a, actually a song about Sabbath. It's yeah, so the the line of the, the beginning of the song is closed on Sunday. You're my Chick Fil A, but the idea here is because uh, there's a, there's a line in there about uh, get your family, hold hands and pray, put the gram away. That's put Instagram away. It's a song about Sabbath and this this gift of a day to spend with family. So closed on Sunday. He has a song called On God on the album I like a ton. It seems to be his own testimony uh, where he, he talks about how he was he was chasing statues. I think that's one of the lines. Chasing statues and chasing uh, Forbes magazine colors and uh, covers, and that's what he was chasing. And he, he there's one line that says he was chasing magazine covers. That's on pride, so he's blaming it on his own pride. And then he, he contrasts all the things that were on pride or on other avarices, avarices, and then the good things in life are on God, to God's credit. That's so really a good song for all of us. A lot of the problems that we've experienced, disappointments, are on us. It's stuff that we did. I, I've said this on the show before. No one has lied to me more than I have. No one has mistreated me more than I have. No one has made more mistakes and more destructive decisions for me than I have. I am my own worst enemy. And all the goods, all the good parts of life, that's on God. The bad parts are on me. So there was another one. What's next? Uh, everything we need. Oh, the best line of the album is in everything we need. And I'm not good at the rapping, so I'm not going to try. I'm I'm not even totally remembering the uh, the lyric here, but I'm going to try to quote it to you. So the the idea in everything we need is obviously that we're not we're not wanting for anything. And the second verse has a uh, it's what if it's what if Eve made apple juice? Are you gonna do? Are you going to do what Adam Adam do? Are you gonna act the same way as Adam? So what if you know, Eve offers you the Adam, or excuse me, apple, and you're Adam? What are you gonna do? Uh, so are you gonna do exactly what he did, or say, baby, let's put this back on the tree, because we have everything we need? Oh, <laughs> that's clever. It's also quite theologically sound that the first temptation guys the first temptation is to not trust God and this is the the doubt that Eve had and the doubt that we have all the time is uh, that Satan comes along and says but do but, but is God really for you has he really created what's best for you do you have what's best or is he keeping something from you and Eve wondered well maybe he is why why is that one tree being kept from me? And she took of the fruit. And that's, that's what we do. What if this isn't the best for me? And then we try to create our own circumstances to get the things we want, not recognizing what we have is, is what God wants for us. And we have everything we need. Like this, we could make these analogies with personal relationships, you can do it with jobs, you can do it with finances and, and houses and what you buy and the decisions you make to, to make the statement, you know, I'm going to take this temptation, this person, this job, this financial decision, I'm, it, it is obviously the fruit of temptation. I'm going to put it back on the tree because I have everything I need. It's actually really good stuff from Kanye West. That'll preach right there. Um, and then uh, next on the album is called God Is. It's the best song on the album. It's really powerful. 
it's not uh, this. This is another one where he mentions his kids. Like, what, what, what is God? Who is God? And part of it is his, his reaction to God, his following of Jesus, is he says, "This is a. Uh, it's for my kids. It's for my. It's for my life. It's for the crib. My whole life, or my wife, or something like that." I don't remember how it goes. But it was another way in which he mentioned his kids in the album, and it's it's a really good one. It's actually quite powerful. Uh, and then I think one that some some people need to listen to the super anti hard anti Kanye West skeptics. He has a song called Hands On. And he he makes the point. Like I started saying I was gonna do a gospel album, and what have you been hearing from the Christians? The Christians are the ones skeptical of me, the ones most hated, the hateful to me. He even says on the album uh, that may, we, Christians who are skeptical of him, made him feel like no one loves him. And here he was reaching out to us, and we were, the, we, we were spurning him. And it actually made me feel really bad <laughs> on the, uh, when I was listening to it. And that has, has, the song has really dramatic, near, near the end, a very dramatic sequence that's, why don't you pray for me? Why don't you support me, knowing I'm going to make some mistakes? And so, guys, it's it's actually I don't know about the music. I'm not good at rap. I don't know what good rap is and what bad rap is. I am good at theology, though, and I can tell you, this is such a weird sentence. The Kanye West 27 minute album called Jesus Is King is more theologically deep, deep and maybe theologically sound than most of the stuff you hear from contemporary Christian and praise and worship bands right now. That's weird. It's nuts to say, but it's true. If you've listened to the album or you have any thoughts or questions about Jesus is King and the Kanye West album, please respond. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax, or email the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. When we come back, I do want to talk about this transgender kid situation in Texas. And man, I have so much more on this prep sheet. We'll get to as much as it as much of it as we can and also get to our sports segment. That's when we come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. Much to do and very little time to do it in. Precious broadcast minutes are tick-tocking away, so here we go. Facts of the case. Dan- oh, by the way, you're listening to the Corey Truax Show. Thanks for sticking with us on his radio talk, 91.9 and 92.9. Or if you're listening on the podcast, thank you for doing so. If you would rate and review the show wherever you find it, if you're doing the podcast version, share it with somebody. I'd be highly grateful if you would do so. If you have not heard the facts of the case down in Texas, there is a young boy, a biological male, whose mom says after the incredible evidence that the boy liked Frozen, and liked girls' toys from McDonald's, that this boy definitely needed to be a girl. And I'm going to go ahead and call it this abusive, this abusive woman that is his mother wanted to start transitioning this child into being a girl. Uh, There's also a divorce going on with the, the husband, and a judge decided to give at first full control over that decision, control over the, over the, over the son to the wife who was going to, it appeared, coming up upon puberty time, uh, he was, uh, I think he's like eight or nine years old, going to start giving him puberty blockers, essentially chemically castrate a a boy that is not just mentally ill, but has a, it's like a much house, much hop, much, I can't say it, the hop, Houskins by proxy. Like, this is a, this is a woman who put this idea into this kid's head, conditioned him for it, 
and this judge was going to let the mom do this thing with the chemical castration. Another judge has come along and put uh, put a stay on that. They're going to have to work together on some decisions, uh, but that judge also put a gag order on both parents so they can't speak to the media anymore. So some of you, by some, I do mean two. I hate when broadcasters do that. So many of you are asking, well, not so many of you, two people sent me the story and wanted my reaction. So here's a couple reactions. So that's the facts of the case. That's where we sit right now with this kid. Uh, number one, we should, not just the state level, there should be a federal ban on any kind of sex change operation, hormone treatment for gender dysphoria for children under, let's pick an age, 16, 17, 18. No parent should be able to do that to their kid. Kids don't know things. When you are five, six, seven, you really don't know the difference, the ultimate difference between boys and girls. You just don't know. It is, it is as insane, or it's, it's less insane, to let a seven-year-old decide they want to get a tattoo on their face. When, if, a t- if your seven-year-old says, I want to get a tattoo on my face, you, the adult, says, nope, can't do that because that's an eternal decision you can't come back from, really, so I can't, make, I can't let a seven-year-old make that decision. If your seven-year-old comes to you and says, I think I'm a boy, and that seven-year-old is a girl, you, for the same reason, you don't start treating that kid. You know, for, for hundreds of years, by the way, when people had this struggle, we said, treat the mind, don't treat the body. We called it gender dysphoria, and we treated the mind and not mutilated the body. There should be legal protection for children that these parents, it's usually a mom, we'll toss it out there, it's usually a mom who consider their kid to be an accessory, they want to make a statement about themselves, and so they do these things to their kids, it should be outlawed. We cannot be giving hormone treatments or otherwise distort the bodies of children. Allow them to grow up and make the decision later when they have all of the information they need to make the decision. We don't let kids make, we don't let them drink till they're 21. We don't let them vape till they're 18. But we think we can go ahead to chemically castrate them. Right. So this is absurd. So that's my reaction to that story. Uh, next email. Uh, I had an email about basically what uh, I think they're, because I said Donald Trump was going to be impeached. If they impeach him and remove him from office, we're going to be in a civil war. That was basically the email. All right, so real quick. Um, I have a theory. I think I've talked about it on the show before. We're actually already at civil war. We're in one. The United States of America is currently in a civil war. It's just currently a cold war. We're not shooting at each other yet, praise the Lord. But we're in a cold war. I mean, we're in a civil war. Uh, Americans really do fear each other. There's a folks... I think it's I think it's 20% on both sides. Like there's 20% of folks on the quote right who actually think people on the left will destroy the world, destroy the country. And and as a they would just say as a as a response, they actually do want to destroy, maybe physically destroy or uh, put out of the country these folks on the left that want to do these things. And there's 20% of people on the left that actually think these people on the right are existential threats to their existence, and that's enough for that is enough for civil war. No, no one has really gotten violent yet. You've seen a little bit of it with the Antifa stuff. You've seen a little bit of it with Occupy Wall Street back in the day. I would say the Tea Party, but the Tea Party behaved itself. So uh, this person who wrote me about 
Civil War. So uh, we're at, we're already in one. It, it, it's just cold. And pray to God that it stays that way, that it doesn't actually become a shooting Civil War. Something people don't recognize. Most Civil Wars in history are not all of the countries fighting against each other. There's often just observers. We just saw this in Syria. In the Syrian Civil War, it was only like 30% of the Syrians trying to kill each other. The rest of the, the other 70% of them wanted just the fighting to stop. They just wanted to live their lives. They didn't want to pick either side. They wanted peace. You know, in the American Revolution, it was only about 15 or 16% of the folks living on this continent participated. Most folks were not pro-Crown or pro-George Washington. They just wanted, like, peace. That's all they wanted. It was a small group of people that actually participated. And so, uh, that's my take. We're already in civil war, and pr- we actually do need to we need to pray that we stays as a cold war and we don't actually start hurting each other. Probably the last thing for today. It's Reformation Week. So, uh, your kids might call that uh, Halloween. And you might have already went trick-or-treating, or maybe you're doing that this weekend. Um, this show will air on Christian Talk, excuse me, uh, His Radio Talk 91.9 and 92.9 on November the 2nd. So uh, maybe the weekend you're doing some trick-or-treating. Christian families, let me encourage you, do take some time to recognize, hey, we're going to go have some fun, we're going to do this candy thing and great costume and all that. But this date also aligns on the uh, calendar with Reformation Day where we remember that there there was a time where the vast majority of people who would call themselves Christians thought they needed to go through a priest to get to God, thought they needed to go through a confession to a man to have their sins forgiven, that were paying money and indulgences for access to the religious, to religious practices, and that through a really hard... We could even go back, actually. Go further back into history, where there were actually... There were wars... Over some of these, I mean, I, I can't, I'm running out of time. I got to do this. All right. So take a second to remind them that this is also a day where we, we remember Martin Luther. We remember his, his contribution to history and his contribution to theology that we have access through Jesus to the Father, that we don't have to do anything else, that our Salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, that there is no work of ourselves, that Jesus is is good to take the punishment for sin on himself. He satisfied God with his life, and God is good and gracious to call out from the people of this world, the people for himself. So don't forget that during this Reformation season as well. It's more important than all the candy and the costumes. Thanks for listening to the Corey Shurak Show. Please share it with others. We're going to move on, on from the serious stuff to sports. <laughs> Finishing the show like we should this time of year, we're going to talk college football with our sports correspondent. His name is Keith Powell. Hi there. Hey, man. For yesterday's, uh, I say yesterday, people don't know. We record on Sundays. Right. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma lost to Kansas State. Yes, they did. It was convincing going into the first, fourth quarter, but big comeback. Yeah, it was a big comeback, but everybody knows Oklahoma can score points. It's just the nature of the conference. There's not a lot of defense in mm-hmm. the conference. But Kansas State played well. They really did. Was Oklahoma's... To, to you, mm-hmm. was Oklahoma's only way to a playoff bid going undefeated? Didn't they have to go 13-0? I think so. I mean, their marquee win was what, Texas? It's and Texas. Texas lost to TCU, so that kind of knocks that out. I agree. Like, th- I think they lost one last year and still went. Did they go to a playoff last year? 
But, I don't. I don't think Oklahoma. They yeah, they did because they lost to Alabama. To, uh, yes, and Notre Clemson Dame beat Notre Clemson. Dame. Yeah, and I think Oklahoma lost the game last year and still made it, but that loss wasn't so bad or right. something. Kansas State's a bad loss. Kansas State has not been playing well this year. It looks bad for Oklahoma. Um, I you know with the Heisman race, I don't that may have knocked Jalen out. Oh, that's not to, a bad point. to me it did. Did he get hurt in that game? I don't think so. It was, you know, I'm thinking of Tua got hurt in their game. Yeah, Tua was out for their game against Arkansas, Arkansas which is laughably bad. Arkansas is a new Kansas because <laughs> Kansas is winning games well, now. That's which is nuts. Les Miles fixing that stuff up. All you got to do is what add, if Les Miles goes to Florida State? They'll be good again. I mean, why would you not go after him? I oh, I know you have the big buyout, you know, and all that stuff, but Florida State has what, money. Florida State has money. I mean, they're, they're averaging like 50,000 people a game, I which have, is horrible. Yes. not Yeah, for Florida State, it's terrible. Yeah. I have a, a big Clemson fan friend who's not you. Right. And she gets overly emotionally attached. Right. And uh, she was getting very upset <laughs> with the, the trash being talked about Clemson's schedule. And I made the point to her, it's it's not Clemson's fault that they broke every other program in the ACC. Yeah, they crushed Florida State into nothingness. It's not. I mean, it's just not. So Florida, Florida State being good is actually quite helpful. Right. Being the historic one. Yeah, and Virginia Tech being good helps. Miami, Miami being good helps. These are historically awesome programs. That's why they brought them to the ACC. And they're just – Boston College wasn't terrible. Yeah, I mean, um, Matty they had Matt there. Ryan and yeah. Herzlig and all these guys. Back when they were the Big East. Luke Keekley. Yeah, they were yeah. great. They were good. They're yeah. not bad programs. The ACC historically has not been a great football conference, but bringing those in, Virginia Tech, Miami, Florida State, raised the profile. Right. Not to mention – it wasn't too long ago that Louisville was a top 10 program. That's true. But if you look at schedules and all this nonsense, Clemson's schedule is no worse than Alabama's is this it's year. It's really not. Now, Alabama does have the LSU game coming up, which helps them. Yeah. But comparatively speaking, they're basically the same schedule. Agreed. And they're at, they're beating their schedule more impressively. Right. Especially on defense. Yep. I actually have no problem with anyone ranking an LSU or Ohio State above Alabama and Clemson right now. They have the better resume. I don't either. But Alabama and Clemson are equally undefeated, and Alabama gives up a bunch of points. <laughs> yes, they do. Clemson on defense is scary they're, good. They're, they're very scary. Not only does Alabama give up a lot of points, Clemson yanks their starters starting the second quarter. Yeah. Like, they're not just running the ones for four quarters. They're not. Yeah. The, uh, the That talk does get on my nerves. Alabama is the fourth or fifth best team. Right. Well, now that the Oklahoma lost, I will say they're the fourth best team. Yeah, I think so. I think they are. Uh, but that... That's Alabama this year is going to have to outscore anybody in the yes. playoff. They're, that's what they're going to have to do. And if Tua is not at 100%, if he's hurt, yep. they can't do that. This is what I hate about the injury. Besides, you know, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but now Alabama has a built-in excuse and a reason to lose to LSU and still have a claim to the playoff. Good point. Well, we didn't have Tua. We didn't have our best player. I just don't like that. Yeah, I don't like it either. But I don't see a scenario where they both don't get in because as we're trying – now we're looking towards – the season finally starting. Like the matchups haven't been great as right. far as the season, but the big games are coming. And here's another thing: these schedules are made ten and fifteen years in right. advance. You cannot project that Florida State was going to be a bottom dweller. The Texas A&M. Te- you, yeah, you can't. Apart. You can't project that kind of stuff. When those games got booked, Kevin Sumlin was coaching Texas A&M into the top ten. Yeah, I mean they yeah. were great. It's just like Michigan and Notre Dame just announced, "Oh, we have a new home and home," but it's for twenty thirty four and twenty thirty five. Are you kidding me? No, I'm dead serious. It was on ESPN last night. During their game, they said, yeah, we have a home and home. Is that 14 That's years 14 away? years from now. That's a ridiculous way to do this. That's what I'm saying. People wow. say, oh, your schedule stinks. It's not like they made it last year. Yeah, that's crazy. These are made years in advance. And you, 
often book these teams when they are prominent or, or right. good. And nobody plays more non-conference power fives than Clemson does. Yeah, Why does incredible. nobody talk about that? I had no idea. Uh, okay, so looking forward now. LSU-Alabama is, is a marquee game coming up yep. that I'm taking LSU in. Yeah, I picked them preseason to win that game. So, And then the other big SEC marquee is Florida versus Georgia. You neutral site. Is that really marquee now? I think so. I mean, I th- I think historically it is. And to me, it's a big game. The name brands are huge. But, yeah. And is Florida still a top 10 team in Georgia? I believe so, yeah. They're right around 10 or 11, yep. both of them. So that's still a big game because Georgia still has a path. They have to win out. Right. Right. So that's still a big game coming. And then Alabama-Auburn is still sitting out there. And there's one of the Big Ten. Is it Ohio State? Penn State. And Penn State. Yep. So, really, the it's starting to feel like the playoffs are beginning. Yeah, this is when the schedule counts. This yes. is when it matters. The good stuff. Yeah, the good stuff. But this then, is when it gets fun. And football weather and all that stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, speaking of the Big Ten, real quick, going back to yesterday, and then we'll I do want to like think about some of these individual games coming up. Michigan just wrecking Notre Dame. That surprised the heck out of me. Yeah, well. Yeah, even in our talks, I'm like Notre Dame is overrated. Yeah, I know you want the Notre Dame brand to be forefront in college football because of the historicity of the program. Blah blah blah, but they're overrated. Yeah. They're not that good. I didn't think they were that bad, but once the rain started flowing, uh, it was Michigan was tougher and meaner. Yeah, Michigan was tougher and meaner. They played yeah. Michigan football like they used to play. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so let me just go through these up- upcoming games that are really going to decide the season. The, we both think LSU over Alabama. Yep. I'm definitely thinking Ohio State over Penn State. Yeah, I would. I, mean, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think Ohio State's defense is better than Penn State's high school offense. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's just what they run. Yeah, I mean, right. it's not their fault. It's just that's what they, they have. Yeah, that's, that's who they, they are. are. Then the other one was Florida, Georgia. I'm still taking Georgia. Yeah, I'm t- I think this is more of a pick 'em. I think Florida is overrated, and I think Georgia's overrated. Uh, just go talent-wise, I think Georgia has more talent. They do have the more four and five stars. Yep. And then to close out the season, that Alabama-Auburn game, I still think Bama can outs. I, I don't, don't know. know. I think Auburn's defense is better than Alabama's. Alabama has – excuse me, Auburn I think has the second-best defense If you watched last week, LSU and Auburn, Auburn's defense looked really, really good. LSU's not been slowed down by anyone. They have not. Until Auburn did it. Yeah, LSU pulls the three-point victory, but, I mean, I don't know, man. But they got Alabama can have three. Alabama could catch two L's before the end of the year. You know what? I'm, I'm there. I'm there, yeah. I think that's what happens. Yeah, I do too. Uh, the de- I don't know how their defense went from the best unit in football for the last 10 years well, to this kind of middling you, thing. The past two times Alabama comes and played in the national championship, the narrative was each each year independently of each other. This is the best defense in college football history. Right. And 16, and then 18 came. And it's, oh, no, this is the best defense. You know, they give up 45 points to Clemson and – 500 yards to Watson and Lawrence, but whatever. In both games. In both games, yeah. Over 500 yards. So, obviously not a fluke. All right, so we have big games coming up, and next week when we come back together, the LSU and Alabama game will have happened, and so will the Florida-Georgia game. Yep. So, we're going to get those next weekend. So, thanks for coming in and doing sports. I appreciate it. We'll be back next week to talk about the outcomes of those and all the other things happening in college football. We'll do that on the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.